data is about the past and our models are about the future. So when we train them on this data, which might be biased and might carry all the unfairness that exists in the world, we are here to correct it. And we have the power to do that. Welcome to Quantum Black Voices, a series of interviews with the talented and diverse people building products to capture the transformative power of advanced analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Today, we're talking to Victoria Olenek, a data scientist in our London office. We talk about Victoria's path to data science and one of her recent projects at Quantum Black. We then do a deep dive on the topic of fairness and why every data scientist has a responsibility to identify and mitigate societal bias found in historical data. Victoria is also incredibly passionate about promoting the representation of women in data science and STEM industries. And we talk about the work she and Quantum Black are doing to improve that representation. To learn more about Quantum Black and McKinsey Company, head to www.quantumblack.com. All right, let's go. Victoria, who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm a data scientist at Quantum Black London office, and I've been with Quantum Black for the last two years and a half now, and I'm very delighted to be on this show tonight. <laughs> you don't know what time of day we put it out could be could be in the afternoon it could be the morning you know i want to put it into the context you know i, I want you. people to know yeah yeah it's nice to think of it as a show i'm digging yeah. that cool all right victoria tell us a little bit about you like where where did you start your career in data science or when did you first get interested in it and then how did you end up at quantum black my path uh was quite twisted and when I was at school, I had a very broad variety of interests and multiple passions. And I struggled so much when I had to pick the career for me to pursue. Actually, at some point, I hesitated between becoming a theater director, a web designer, a neuroscientist, a physicist, I believe I had some more on my list. So this is what I remember. Wow, that's broad. Yeah, that's, and... that's a broad spectrum of careers. Okay, how, how did you decide which career to progress? I, I wrote down on pieces of paper uh, the options for me, and I put them into a hat, and I picked at random. And I thought that it was a good idea. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking to a data scientist here. That seems like an incredibly random approach to choosing a career. Okay, so you, so you picked a, a career out of the hat. What 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 did you, career did you pick out? I I think I picked a uh, theater director. <laughs> okay. Double Look check at I'm me now. interviewing the right person here. Yeah. So, okay. So you picked out theatre director. Um, at some point, there must have been a change in in aspiration. When did that happen? Yeah. So, as as you noticed, I'm not staging Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, I decided to study political science. Okay. And yeah, I spent a year studying political science uh, with a major in mathematics, though. 
uh, I want to highlight that. Okay. And I still didn't want to give up fully on math. I loved math when I was at school. I loved programming. I, I loved everything. And yeah, I, I did a year of political science. And then I, I enjoyed my studies immensely. But at the same time, I came to realize that I didn't have enough math. And I, I was missing programming. I desperately missing programming. What, what, what attracted you to math? What was it about math and programming that realized that you needed more of it in your life? I believe that math is just beautiful and programming is fun. And <laughs> I, I wanted to have both. I wanted to have beauty. I wanted to have more beauty and more fun in my life. Okay, apparently. that's a good justification. It's <laughs> the simplest justification that I've heard. So you decided you wanted more math in your life. What, what did you do after the political science degree? What changed your course? I had a very passionate professor of statistics uh, when I was studying political science. And uh, he actually introduced me to the world of um, statistics and machine learning something that not many people knew about back then. And I absolutely loved it. I thought that I wanted to do that. He actually encouraged me to switch my degree. And this is exactly what I did. I switched to the applied math and computer science degree. And it was hard. It was very hard to get through, but it was absolutely worth it. Do you think your passion for math is what helped you get through such a challenging course? Definitely that. But also, I think throughout my studies, I actually managed to learn a bit more about different careers that I can have with the math background that I didn't know about before. And it sounded like a very worthwhile effort. Do you think that's because so, so mathematics opened a lot of doors for you? It, it demonstrated all the different careers that you could do with a mathematics background? Absolutely. 100%. And why is it that data science is the one that you chose? Because obviously there's lots of careers that you could have gone into with mathematics as a, as a foundation. What was it about data science that attracted you? I very quickly realized how relevant to the real world data science was. And this was something that fascinated me. The fact that you can marry something very theoretical like linear algebra and calculus to a prediction of traffic was just mind-blowing. Right. And I, I just saw this power and the potential that it had. And I knew that with this kind of job, I would never be bored. And do you think that's what attracted you to Quantum Black partially, the, the fact that we were applying machine learning to real-world problems? Absolutely. I think this is something that I enjoy the most about being a data scientist at Quantum Black. And the amount of knowledge that you can actually get just working within different industries is incredible. Bring that to life for us. Tell us about one of the studies that you've been working on while you've been at Quantum Black. I want to talk about um, the work that I did for one of the telecommunication companies to predict the percentage of people who would become customers of fiber network. 
And why would you want to do that? Why would, why would a telecommunications company want to do that? When you decide as a telecommunications company where to put your fiber, you need to consider if it, it has the potential for having customers. It doesn't make much sense to lay down cables uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere where you have five people and probably they're not really interested in having your super high-speed internet. So you really need to be very smart about the areas where you want to roll out your fiber first. You have limited resources as a telco company, but you also have different potential in different areas in terms of the penetration. Some areas would be populated by the people who are more interested in having high-speed fiber connection compared to the others. So you really need to understand how the costs and benefits will play together. So therefore, it's really important to be able to predict uh, in which areas you're going to have a high uptake of your fiber network. And where does uh, machine learning come into play? How does machine learning enable a telecommunications company to predict the right place to put fiber? You have um, several things to take care of. You need to calculate the expected costs on one hand side. This has actually little to do with machine learning. It is a deterministic problem where you just need to use some smart algorithms, some advanced analytics algorithm to basically calculate the length of the cable that you need to put in a specific area. And you can do it in, you know, using some smart tools. What is more interesting though, and where uh, machine learning is really, really powerful, is the prediction of the uptake. So this is something that can be learned from the historical data. So you can look at the historical rollouts in different regions and try to understand what are the characteristics of these regions, of these specific locations. What kind of people live in them? Are they young professionals? Uh, what kind of income they have? Do they have jobs that require the usage of high-speed internet. So you really need to understand the profiles of the areas in which you would have a high possibility of people becoming your customers. And this is exactly where machine learning comes into play. You look at your historical rollout success or failure, and you try to get the patterns in the data that describe these areas of low and high uptake, and you use it to predict it in the new areas. Magic. It absolutely sounds like magic. So a telecommunications company can leverage machine learning to look at patterns in the past to understand what the drivers would be of future uptake of fiber that they may deploy in new locations for new customers. Exactly, exactly. Let's shift gears a little bit. The topic of fairness is obviously incredibly important within the domain of data science, but I also know that it's a topic that you're very passionate about as well. Could you 
explain to us what fairness means in the context of data science and why it's something that should be the top of everyone's agenda? Fairness is definitely a super important topic for data scientists. And I think the important thing that we need to understand that when we build our models and we actually make recommendations based on the outcomes of our models, we we have some societal biases encoded in the data that we train our models on. And we need to be very aware of the fact that the way that society potentially discriminated against certain populations uh, will be encoded in the data. And we should not replicate and amplify these biases. Can you give us an example of one of these societal biases and the impacts that can have if it's leveraged by a machine learning model to make recommendations? Absolutely. Um, one of the notorious examples uh, is credit scoring and how different machine learning models work for men and women. Unfortunately, historically, women earned less. And I believe everyone is familiar with uh, such a concept as uh, pay gap. And the machine learning model, if not really thought through thoroughly, would go through this historical data and understand that income is very important for your credit score. And also will understand that women did earn less than men. So it will unintentionally pick up that women should get lower scores. And this will be replicated in the future and even amplified. If you don't take care of your data set in terms of pre-processing it and balancing and correcting for this intrinsic biases, you will basically learn it and replicate and reinforce and penalize women for being women just because they used to earn less. And you can end up with having a man and a woman who are absolutely identical today in terms of different characteristics. They live in the same place. They have the same salary. They do exactly the same job. They are of the same age, but still a woman would get a lower credit score than a man. And this is because the model that is helping determine that credit score is using historical data to determine what, what their credit score should be. Exactly. And that historical data might have this societal bias in it, which is recognized as a pattern by the model, but is in fact an unfair insight into that population. You're absolutely right, James. And our responsibility as data scientists is to make sure that this doesn't happen. Data is about the past. And our models are about the future. So when we train them on this data, which might be biased and might carry all the 
unfairness and all the pain that exists in the world, we are here to correct it. And we have the power to do that. We can actually fix it and make sure that the next generations will not have this issue. And when we have next generation of women who earn their money, they will not be given unfair credit scores simply because they are women. So I, I, I love something that you said there, which is that, that you have the power because I think machine learning generally as a technology is seen as, as powerful, right? We, we are using it to make tangible changes in the world. And we talk about it at the top of this podcast. It has transformative power for the, for the organizations that we work with. But with that power comes this great responsibility for data scientists. I'd love to talk a little bit more about some of the methods that you referenced earlier about how we address bias in data sets. How do we make sure that our recommendations and the insights we provide to organizations are fair? It's a very complicated topic. And we know that there is no silver bullet for fairness and advanced analytics and artificial intelligence. And the first question, the first very complicated question that we need to answer is, how do we define fairness in the first place? Okay. And it can be very different when you think about it in the context of different industries and different use cases. Just to give an example, you can say it is fair that you have the same proportion of, let's say, men and women being admitted to the university. Or you can say it is fair that the model that predicts the probability of you getting into the university has the same accuracy for men and for women. And you can think about very different ways of uh, defining fairness. And this is basically the first very difficult issue that you need to resolve in this in this journey how do you how do you recommend teams have that conversation how do you recommend a data scientist has that conversation how do you at the beginning of a project at the beginning of an analytics use case how do you have a conversation about what fairness means in the context of that use case of course first it's very hard and <laughs> you need to be very proactive you need to be loud and you really need to push for those conversations to happen. You are at the helm of building the model and you have the responsibility and the power to change it. So people will listen. They might be resistant because as we saw uh, in the last month and um, the last year, unfortunately, we might be as a society, uh, very resistant to change and might underestimate the importance of this topic. But you need to be very proactive and you need to uh, ring all the bells <laughs> until you are heard. That's great advice. So obviously there, there is a big communication part here about raising awareness. 
what about uh, from a, a, a practice standpoint? What about from a, a method perspective? You know, how do, how do we think about fairness when we're actually building out technical solutions like these? We have a bunch of different methods to identify biases in the data sets and also improve the models in terms of the fairness metrics that you choose to actually measure fairness which is relevant for your use case or your industry. And normally the first step for us technically is to actually look at you know the balance of positive negative outcomes across different populations. For instance, for let's say this credit score example, you can take a look at the rate of positives and negatives for men and women, for different ages, different races, uh, different neighborhoods, for instance. And then uh, when we understand how biased our data set is, when we train the model to make it fairer, we have different methods that are actually coming either before modeling itself, where we actually transform, apply some changes to the data source, try to balance it out, and only then train the algorithm. So what you're saying is that the model might interpret something as as a signal, i.e. A, a characteristic or a feature that would inform our recommendations, but but by putting the human back in the loop, for them to to look at that signal and determine whether actually it's just bias in the data and not actually a signal we should be looking at, we're effectively mitigating the the possibility of that being unfair, that data set being unfair. Yes, exactly. We're we're actually fairness officers. We're there to come and inspect the model, to inspect the data, and make sure that the model is doing the right thing. I think that's fascinating. I think with 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 so much hype around the power of machine learning and its impact on the world, I think it's important to reinforce the fact that a human has to be in the loop, you know, and 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 currently that role is being played by data scientists, which again, I think reinforces your point about the the responsibility that you carry as a data scientist. Absolutely. And I believe that as a society where so much impacted by machine learning and it relates to both our daily lives and such innocent things as you know the next recommended song on your spotify playlist but it can be something absolutely dramatic like whether or not you will be granted a parole so we need to be very, very aware and alert all the time. And we can't really just let the machines run without our intervention. We are there to monitor, we are there to correct, because we, as human beings, define what is fair and what is not. The machines don't understand. And when they see the mistakes that have been made by the humankind unfortunately in the past they can learn that this is what they need to know we should 
make sure that that doesn't happen. That's a fantastic call to arms, Victoria. I hope it encourages anyone that's listening who works with machine learning technology to make fairness a priority topic of conversation in their organization also. Let's talk about another one of your passions. I know you participate in lots of extracurricular activities at Quantum Black to encourage and support young people getting into data science with a focus on improving the representation of women in the industry also. Talk to us about those efforts. The representation of women in AI is something that I care a lot about. And currently, the situation around the world is very different. And unfortunately, in the Western countries, uh, women are far more underrepresented compared to, for example, Eastern Europe. And specifically, in Ukraine and in Russia, women in STEM are very well represented. So I think that there should be nothing that should stop, you know, young girls and young women from entering the STEM field in general and AI in particular. So just for anyone that doesn't know, what, what does STEM stand for? Sure. It stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. We already know that women are very much underrepresented in the UK specifically, uh, both in the degrees and in the workplace and the STEM field. And to be more concrete, actually women make up only 35% of degree students and 25% of the workforce in the STEM field. And this is really low. And from my point of view, I believe there is nothing that should stop girls and young women from entering into STEM. Because women are amazing. They are talented. They are brilliant. And we know that they perform extremely well in math and computer science. It's just that they need to keep believing in themselves and keep going. And we are here to basically tell them that they have it and they can do it and they should do it and really follow their passion. And what are we doing at Quantum Black to help change this state of affairs? How are we helping improve the situation? So at Quantum Black, we uh, collaborate with and support multiple organizations that encourage girls and young women to get into STEM, to stay in STEM. Uh, for instance, uh, Code First Girls, Teens in AI, an organization, an amazing organization uh, that places uh, a big emphasis on getting girls involved. Um, I actually want to talk about Teens in AI for a bit, if possible. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us more about what Teens in AI are doing. Teens in AI is this amazing organization that is promoting data science and uh, advanced analytics uh, among teens across the world. They have an amazing coverage Honestly, it's just mind-blowing. So you have kids from 
Netherlands, you have kids from Kenya, you have kids from Kazakhstan, really across the globe. And um, we are putting a great emphasis, as I said, on making sure that girls participate. And one of the recent collaborations that we had uh, was during the day of service that we had at McKinsey, where the whole company could actually spend their whole day doing one of the volunteering opportunities. And um, one of them was a workshop, basically a hackathon with uh, teens in AI, where teams of teenagers basically created some products or models um, for pressing social issues. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Okay. Honestly, I had a group of teenagers building an alert system for Romania to predict the new areas where COVID was spiking. Wow. And it was something else. The breadth and like the scale of thinking, amazing. It's impressive. Very impressive. It must be incredibly rewarding as well for those that participate in those workshops. It was an extremely rewarding experience. We spent the whole day with them and even during this day, we could see how much they progressed. And that was fascinating. And at the end of the day, we had a get together on this massive Zoom call where all the teams presented their models, their products. And honestly, the, the half of the team on the mentor side, our quantum lab colleagues, they were in tears. It was it was amazing. You just you can't believe that these are people who are 12, 14 years old, and they are already thinking about very serious matters. They care about very serious social problems. That's an incredibly inspiring story. And it's fantastic that you get an opportunity to get involved in these sorts of initiatives in and around the work that you're doing at Quantum Black. For any aspiring data scientists that might be listening in, where would you suggest they start? How do they get more involved in machine learning? What can they start learning today? Luckily, uh, we have an abundance of great resources uh, online. And I believe that online courses available on Coursera, Udacity, Udemy are very good and extremely helpful, especially when you start getting into the field. So we definitely recommend the like classical machine learning course by Andrew Ng, available on Coursera. This is actually the one that I watched the first when I started my data science journey and I, I loved it. I loved it. It's amazing complicated things made simple to have something uh, more fundamental and to kind of put everything together i would recommend to find a good book on statistics or on machine learning something like pattern recognition and machine learning by christopher bishop one of the bibles of the data scientists 
But apart from that, one of the important things in our data scientist toolkit is programming. So I would definitely recommend that you become quite fluent in one of the languages. I would recommend Python because it is currently standard in the industry and it is quite friendly to start playing around and it's actually quite fun. Python is great. I think everyone needs to learn Python. <laughs> and would you recommend they check out uh, educational resources like Coursera and Udemy to learn about Python too? For Python, that would work too. I would actually recommend to play on your own, to kind of use your your skills and practice. And probably if you go to some of the platforms um, with available data sets like Kaggle, you can actually pick something that you like, like, you know, the um, sales of avocados <laughs> and try to build a model to predict uh, where the sales of avocados will be in the next month. And yeah, use your great Python skills there. I suspect there's lots of people out there that love avocados too. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. They're, they're great recommendations. Thank you very much for talking to us, Victoria. It's been incredibly enlightening. Thank you, James, for having me. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to a podcast created by Quantum Black, a McKinsey company. This episode was produced by Catherine Shenton and Tillman Becker and edited by Renata Sampaio Rodriguez and myself, James Mulligan. <laughs>